Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. I used to bite my tongue and hold my breath. This is Trailblazers with Ricky Swanell. Trailblazers is back for another season. Welcome into SENZ. I'm Ricky Swanell and welcome into Trailblazers again where we speak to New Zealand sports women, coaches, administrators from the past and the present in-depth one-on-one conversations. And with the Cricket World Cup, of course, underway, who better to go to than one of our greats of the game, the 2000 World Cup winner, Rebecca Rolls, is actually a double international. She played uh, a number of matches for the football ferns as well, including the London 2012 Olympics and the 2015 World Cup, but played more than 100 ODIs for the White Ferns too. So excited to have Rebecca in. Rebecca Rolls, welcome to Trailblazers. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Ricky. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. It's um, again, as I say, read the Wikipedia page. You've got quite the CV. So, but I'll, we'll go back to start with. How or where did your life in sport begin? Um, well, I think like most Kiwi kids, just watching sport, watching um, on TV back when you know you, you didn't have to pay. For TV, I mean, we only had three channels. You probably won't actually. You you are probably only remember. You'll remember three, but there were only two at one point. No, I um, do. I do just. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and I was just lapping up any sport that was on TV. And back then, there was a lot of cricket. There was a lot of the the, the coloured clothing. One day cricket had just started, uh, and there was also a every Sunday morning's uh, big league football, which was um, kind of a, a roundup of the Premier League. So that that was what I lived for. I just watched that, and then every opportunity I was outside with either the neighbourhood kids or kids at school playing uh, cricket and football. And I'm, I'm probably can't tell you why those two sports in particular resonated with me because I watched a lot of netball and tennis and a few other things but I think it was pretty much I just was giving everything a go and for whatever reason those two stuck with me so yeah I would say in a lot of ways um, quite a normal introduction to sport but maybe as a female picking those two sports from a a really really young age slightly a little bit different it's so funny you mentioned big league soccer because my dad's English, so that was the Sunday morning for us. Um, he always tells a story about the day I was born and he was the same day that big league soccer was on and he missed it. And so he ended up, when the doctor comes out and says, you've got a daughter, he said, yes, but what was the score? Um, but, <laughs> so that's what, as soon as you said that. So was was there any connection within your family, that particularly for football or, or for cricket or anything like that? Definitely not football. Nobody in my family played football um, <clears throat> at all. I yeah, used to watch that. I got a crush on Gary Lineker uh, yes. from, from Tottenham Hotspurs, and I still yes. support Spurs for that reason, which is completely, you know, emotional. 
Um, but no, not at all. Like I've got a younger sister who, poor her, um, you know, she, she was really good at netball and volleyball, but, um, we never really played the same sports. Um, and then my parents didn't really play a lot of sport. My grandfather was, uh, into cricket a little bit. Um, so, but I kind of only really dug into that once he realized that I was into cricket because he, he may not have been expecting his granddaughter to pick it up. Um, so yeah, not really any pedigree. I haven't got the same stories as others about, you know, playing with big brothers, you know, in the backyard or anything like that. It was totally driven intrinsically by me and what I love to do. Well, obviously I knew there was a reason that I liked you because I'm a Tottenham supporter from the big league soccer days as well with my family. Um, that's really interesting. So, but so did you, when did you start playing? So you started playing through school. Where did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in Napier, um, which, you know, um, so lucky because there's a kid and, and there'll be many towns and cities in New Zealand that are the same, but so many cool facilities. Everything's five minutes away, <laughs> which helps. So even now when I go home, I'm always early because I forget that <laughs> everything's five minutes away. Um, and <clears throat> yeah, so as soon as I could, I mean, I would play at school with the boys. I went to a Catholic school where we only had 10 boys in the class. So that was really helpful. So they always needed an 11th person. Uh, so I'd fill in um, <clears throat> when they let me. Uh, and yeah, it went through Tamatea Tigers was my young football sort of club, which is now part of Nape City Rovers, which I then went on and played for. Um, and my nieces now play for, which is cool. Uh, and then <clears throat> with cricket again at school, just playing with the boys, and then as soon as I could, I remember filling in for a, a, a I think it was about twelve uh, for a women's club team. There, was, there were four club teams down there, and, and so through a contact of that mum worked with, uh, started playing for one of the club teams down there at a really young age. So from then on, for me, it was school cricket in the morning, club cricket in the afternoon. That was my Saturdays, and I, I could not have wanted anything else. Um, and then football wise, same sort of uh, it'll be depending on how old I was, school football and then club football all day Sunday, so um, living the dream. So you said your mum and dad weren't, you know, massively sporty or anything like that, but they must have nurtured or, or kind of seen that you had found this love from from somewhere. Yeah, it probably still baffles them to this day, actually. But, um, you know, like, and like so many other kids, I'm so lucky they, they just went with it, you know, like um, – my dad has cerebral palsy, so he doesn't didn't really play sport, never really had opportunities. He, um, you know, just was written off, quite frankly, um, and mm. so we're never allowed to or never able to really participate in a whole lot. Um, so, you know, he he was right into it. He would just he'd be the taxi driver, and he um, made me my first bat and made me a set of uh, wooden cricket wickets that we'd put on the driveway. And he he was the, not the worst bowler actually. <laughs> um, left arm <laughs> and um, and then we lived across the road from like a, a big park so we'd mow a cricket pitch out there which was dubious in terms of uh, dimensions and, and quality but then as soon as I think uh, maybe he even felt sorry for him because I'd make him come out and bowl to me after dinner and then from the houses all around people would then start to join us and by you know sort of about 6 30 we had a good good quorum and then we played till it was dark so so no I mean hugely supportive mum was this I mean mum learnt the rules of cricket which, you know, not that's quite hard to do if you're not really. Yeah, not easy. Yeah, right. Um, and so, and football, you know, she would be the football coach, but, you know, knowing that that didn't, that was really just rallying kids. Um, so, no, they, I mean, they got into it. I'm, um, yeah, forever grateful that they didn't, um, <clears throat> didn't try and deter me or anything like that. I think, and I, I do remember, um, <clears throat> it's weird, like mum used to, See, you remember cassette tapes and you could record cassette tapes and, and so she had a friend in Canada and they used to exchange these tapes and they'd just tape over and send each other back a message and she found one not long ago and we were listening to it and I would have been about 11 and mum was telling her friend, she said, oh, Rebecca 
<clears throat> she missed getting picked for um, a cricket camp, and I think it was because I didn't have anywhere for her to sleep, which is pretty poor. And so, like, she was sticking up for me way back then, which, yeah, um, yeah which, which, and she was probably right, but who would know? Um, and I do remember, like, there's, there's a really famous Napier cricket tournament that still happens now, and a lot of white ferns went there. So I know, um, you know Sarah McGlashan, who was from Napier as well, she went, and, and she's only a couple of years younger than me. So I, I think I just missed being able to go to that as a girl. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, they, they were always in my corner. Like, I've got to be honest, um, you know, mum, I think I could have had the worst game in the world and she'd always been like, oh, I thought you played really well. <laughs> Whereas da- dad was probably a little more, um, he had a few more opinions. And my grandfather, who was a massive influence, particularly my cricket career, he, um, yeah, he, he would be a little more, uh, how will I say, specific about his feedback. Um, but, yeah, hugely lucky to have the family I did. At what point did you sort of realize, or did it become apparent that that you were you were good and had could could take this further, both sports further? Yeah, it's funny. I always I always thought I was good. Like, and, mm. and I don't know if that's arrogant or whatever. No, no. I keep it really simple, and I, I you know you compare yourself to those people around you. And so I always had in my head a mental list of the boys that were better than me, and there was always you know plenty of them. But then I had probably the one I concentrated on more were the boys that I was better than. And, and as that list sort of grew, I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm not too bad at this. Um, and then I, I remember getting <clears> – <throat> I played for the Hawks Bay under-20s uh, women's team when I was uh, – I think I was 12 or 13. This is cricket. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, cricket. And and then I remember thinking, hearing about Martin Crow playing for the under-23s when he was 15, so I did the math and went, oh, okay, yeah, same, you know. I was a bit of a goober, you can tell. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I did the math and thought, well, he's pretty good. Uh, so maybe I am. Maybe I can do this. And and but for quite a long time, just saw myself playing for the black caps and and the you know the all whites. So I didn't. It wasn't until yeah, sort of that time where I was like, oh, okay, so there are pathways for women or for girls. Yeah, I was just adamant as an eight year old. Oh, I'll just play. You know, like I do now with the boys. I'll I'll just um, make that team. Um, <laughs> even though it's hard and the boys don't really like it sometimes. Um, yeah. Well, you know, so it's worth it because I love playing. But it's because, I mean, back then too, there wouldn't have been that visibility of the football ferns and, and, and the white ferns as there is now. No, n- nothing at all. In fact, my sporting heroes growing up through cricket were Sir Richard Hadley, um, Ian Smith, Lance Kens, um, and football-wise, you know, talk about Gary Lineker, but then the 82 team, um, you know, Winton Rufa, uh, Steve Sumner, those guys, like that That was yeah. it. And then for women, you know, it's why Marama Tomanu and Sandra Edge and and even now, and Susan Devoy, and even now if I, yep. you know, now and then you kind of come across them or something and I'm, like, quite freaked out. I'm like, wow, look who that is. You know, it's quite <laughs> cool. So, yeah, I mean, I think role models are really important and sometimes you have to, yeah, no matter what they do, it's more about how they approach it. And Susan Devoy, was, you know, she was so fiercely competitive with her squash but also so, like, she just annoyed people all the time because she was fighting for equal, um, you know, pay yeah. prize money and that kind of thing and, and you know the the silver ferns back then were so good, and they had so many cool personalities that I was just like, that's that's what I want to be like. God, I remember the first time interviewing Waitamanu, I just freaked out because right. we're obviously a very similar generation, right? And so like that that team, those teams through the late eighties and nineties of the silver ferns with Y and Sandy Edge and Julie Coney and all of that. I was like, yeah. And then I ended up working with them. You're like, holy. It's oh, crazy. I've still got yeah. mana. Like, you know, yeah. I feel like Waimarama Tomanu, I've never met her, but I feel like if she walked in the room now, I'd be like, oh, I can feel that. Yeah, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. 
So that's the, the sort of the cricket side. So but how was the football playing out at this stage? And we should probably say you were, a, were you always a goalkeeper? Were you always put in goal in football? And were you always a wicketkeeper um, in cricket too? <laughs> Uh, good hands somewhere (laughs) yeah I can catch oh I will say that without uh, yeah I don't think that's being arrogant um no no, so I think as a kid you you try and do everything like I was that kid you know I was like I'll open the batting and and then I'll bowl and then I'll chuck the gloves on and so do a bit of everything and then as I was playing school and club at the same time I didn't want to goalkeeper and wicketkeeper for school because uh, we had a really great school team and uh, Taradale High School in, uh, in Napier, so I get nothing to do in goal. And I so I played in the midfield, and and was actually not too bad there. So you know that's that's what you do. You kind of do the stuff that that is more fun. And then wicketkeeping wise, I'm like, well, I'm actually the only one who can really bowl properly, so um, I won't do that either. So yeah, it was um, <clears throat> yeah, cricket team wasn't as good as our football team. Let me say that. Right. Uh, so no, I mean I probably did both. I actually got picked initially my first time I ever got picked for like the New Zealand under 23s cricket team as an all rounder as a bowler. Um, and I think because I was I'm tall, like everyone mm. kind of puts you in that and and goes well, and I could bat a bit. So. So I thought to myself, oh, well, that's my future. I have to get good at that. And there are a lot of good keepers around, and I'm a bit tall to do that. Um, but then I got to the point where I'm just like, oh, I just don't enjoy bowling. I don't, I'm not good enough at it that yeah. <laughs> I want to do it, you know, uh, to the extent that I should. Um, and I just loved keeping. And, yeah, I was just, I just stuck with that probably once I um, left school and, and really committed to it. Um, yeah. And is, um, because you're tall, is that how you ended up in goal in football? Yeah, it probably was. So I, I do remember when I said earlier that there were ten kids in the ten boys in the class. I think yeah. that's why I went and goal. There's because nobody else wanted to. And I was the girl. Uh but obviously being tall helps. Um definitely helps that. And I I've always had really good um reactions. So and, and everyone uh kind of assumes that we're keeping and goalkeeping are the same skills and, and the same footwork, but they're they're actually not like Wicket keeping, you're always trying to secure the ball. Like you have to take it and you know, then maybe do something with it if you if you're looking at a stumping or something like that. Whereas goalkeeping and particularly more now, you're trying to get rid of the ball often. You know, if yeah, if you're catching the ball, then it's not it's not a challenging shot. You know, it's it's yeah, it's yes. not that hard. More, more times than not, you're fighting in the corner to punch it away or you are parrying it or something like that. So um, you're sort of tr- more trying to repel it than secure it. So in the footwork, it, there are some, you know, if you're diving, the footwork's essentially the same and the landing's a bit the same, but, you know, it's much more intricate or keeping up to the stumps and that sort of thing. So I, when, yeah, I think it's very hard to be um, a goalkeeper if you're less than, unless you can jump like, you know, nothing on earth. Um, yeah. Yeah, unless you're sort of about five foot nine or less, I think it makes it harder. My guest on Trailblazers is double international cricket and football, Rebecca Rolls, wicketkeeper and goalkeeper. Uh, we'll take a quick break here on SCNZ and back with more shortly. I used to bite my tongue and hold my breath. You're listening to Trailblazers with Ricky Swanell. listening to Trailblazers on SCNZ. I'm Ricky Swanell and my guest is double cricket and football international Rebecca Rolls. We've been talking about sort of how you got there and playing both sports. So let's kind of move to that that senior level when you became an international. Am I right? You made your football ferns debut first. Is that right? Yes. Yep. 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 In about, Nine, I think it was about 1994. And what can you recall of that moment and, and, and the, all of that, that first time? Yeah, bizarre. Um, 
career's been full of bizarre little things. But so it was a tournament in India, of all places, um, oh. to play football. Uh, so, yeah, a, uh, it was an 18 tournament that was completely funded by someone quite wealthy in India. Um, and would, New Zealand had been invited. Uh, so, yeah, uh, they they picked a team. I don't think it was necessarily their first string side because they were worried about sending people to India and there was um, mm. must have been some World Cup qualifiers coming up. Anyway, so um, didn't care about any of that. Um, probably would have been picked anyway, but, yeah, so got that notification. And back then it was you got a letter in the mail. So, you know, you, gotta, you get the first letter saying we're picking a team, we'll be in touch just to make sure that you're looking out in your letterbox. Uh, and then, yeah, after that, you're in. So, no, that was um, that was amazing, actually. Just, um, yeah, played teams like Russia and um, wow. Ghana, uh, India were there, uh, Chile, like just probably my first exposure to um, contemporaries and peers but from other countries and other cultures. Like, it was just fascinating. Um, and we played in in Chennai, which was then Madras, which is probably about the hottest place on the earth, I think. And having been there a couple <laughs> of times playing cricket, it hasn't changed. No. Um, but but touring India back in the mid nineties is different than it is now. Um so so that was that was quite interesting. Um but yeah it was yeah uh, um like I said that was kind of the sport where I had my first success. So just immensely proud uh, to get in, this, in the team um, and was probably at a time, I must have been about 18, 19, um, yeah, really wanting to set, set the scene for the rest of your life. And I and, uh, was still really wanting to play cricket as well at the same time. And, and because then, you know, with football, you might get one game a year or you might not. And mm-hmm. so it was really mm-hmm. ad hoc and cricket. Cricket was a little better. They were just starting to work in with um, the New Zealand cricket and join up from a men's and women's perspective. So it was pretty guaranteed there'd be a Rose Bowl per year. Um, so so you had three games against Australia at, at the very least. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, yeah hugely proud. And um, and I guess for me, kind of really wet the, wet the appetite quite a lot. Yeah. So then, so you played one cricket test. Was that not long after? That was 2004. So that was. Oh, 2004. Um, okay. So you made yeah. your one day debut in 97 then, is it? So a couple of years after the football. Yeah, so you've yeah. been juggling the two alongside. And, and then obviously cricket became, as you said, probably the more of the primary sport. Yeah, for sure. Like I think um, I'd been away on the um, under 23s tour for cricket prior to getting picked for the football ferns, um, and then, yeah, so went away with, had that, had that involvement, and then in 96 um, was first picked for the white ferns. Well, that's when I first, I think it was the 96-97 season, um, and we played Pakistan, was probably my first game, um, and who were just kind of getting into cricket, and, and not as a nation, obviously, but women's cricket. So it was kind of um, a bit of a learning tour for them ahead of the 97 World Cup, which was in India. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of a three or four years of quite a lot of uh, compressed sort of time. Um, and as I said, with the cricket was a little bit more organised, probably not the greatest word, but um, just a bit more guaranteed, a little more structure. Um, and, and I think at the time, because New Zealand, because it's such a big sport in New Zealand, there was, you know, there was New Zealand, Australia, England and India were kind of the big four teams. So, yeah, it was just a bit more in your front yard, whereas football wasn't as, yeah, it's a global game and, and New Zealand, let's face it, um, women and men were way down in the rankings and that kind of yeah. thing, so a little less um, front of mind, if you like. Uh, and then at the same time, I was uh, trying to join the police. So 
finally went to police college in 98 and then at that point it was probably when I was like okay well I can't have a job and do two sports and football was something I you know you never really heard about until a week before there was a tour to Germany or something and and so that was hard to kind of commit to and and train for and particularly as a goalkeeper you don't want to just be playing club football and never get any goalkeeping training and then go away and play internationals um and cricket was yeah like I said a bit more of a was a domestic season and then you lead into internationals so yeah I guess sort of the choice was made for me at about that time. Mm. Mm. And I guess a couple of years there was probably in, in that that ninety seven ninety eight and then onwards to two thousand nine. There's a World Cup coming at home, um, which was obviously the, the last time we hosted the tournament. The only time we've won the tournament. Um, can have you got a, a standout from that time that 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 tournament? Um, there's been so many great images. We're seeing a lot of it lately um, as well. Is that sparking a lot of memories for you? Oh, it's been crazy. Yeah, like I've done a lot of yeah. um, interviews and. Yeah, stories and, and podcasts and that kind of thing. And and everyone says, oh, do you mind talking about the World Cup? I'm like, hell no. I love it. You know, best day ever. Yeah. <laughs> Why would I mind talking about it? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was weird. Like, I was still quite young in my career. And it's funny, watching the game, I'm like, oh, my God, I was so bad. Like, jeez. <laughs> Hang on. You took the final. You took a hell of a catch to finish it. It was not bad. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, that's what I was there for, you know, the keeper, you take those catches. Um, but, I, I mean, I think watching the batting, I'm like, oh, my God. And I just remember thinking, thank God I got better after this game. But, um, <laughs> yeah, like for me, it, it's funny, We um, and I have been reflecting a lot lately, as, as you watch the White Ferns prepare for this World Cup and, and how yeah. different it'll be to have a home World Cup than it was for us. But in a lot of ways it's not. Like we've been forced into this weird bubble kind of environment and we were sort of in a bubble just because that's what we had to do because that's what we could afford. Um, staying in dorms. Yeah, yeah, basically, as were all the teams. So it was literally a, a tournament. Um, so I think we, because I, I was new on the team and we'd gone to India in 97 and lost the final in front of 80,000 people, um, which was insane. Like they were, they had busted in a lot, and most of them were women and girls, which was pretty cool. Um, but it meant that the crowd noise was really high pitched. So. Um, <laughs> So whenever anything and, the, and whenever anything happens, they disrupted. Um, so it was it was quite a quite an event. But um, I guess for me, like we lost that final, and I was kind of like, oh, that's a bit of a bummer. But then I, I noticed the, the other people on the team, like Debbie Hockley, Catherine Campbell, who had been in the one in '93, and they'd lost that one. So mm-hmm. for them, it was kind of compounding, and and that always stuck with me. Um, and then I, you know, you sort of think, well that's actually an additional piece of motivation is to play and, and grow as a team so that those guys have given so much to the game, even before I got here. Um, and, and they can, you know, all they want, not all they want, but how good would it be for them who I, I still consider the pioneers of modern cricket in, in New mm. Zealand for, for the women's game, you know, that they could experience it. So when we finally pulled, you know, pulled off it in, in 2000 um that was one of the biggest satisfaction points for me is that those people some who were playing their last game um as long as with some others playing their last game it was kind of like that they they get to have that memory which they completely earned and, and I felt like they earned it way more than I did but and when you take the last when you do the last thing to win the game you know, it's, yeah. it's really you're you're the photo, you're the footage that everyone remembers. It's kind of you're that moment, and everyone says, "Oh, this is where I was." But yeah, I guess you you also need to remember all of the other 27 million things that happened that were equally as important and probably way more skillful. Um, 
that, that really contributed to that. And so I feel extremely honoured to have been the person to do the last thing, but also really, really mindful that, but for all the other stuff and, and all my teammates and, and not just the teammates there, um, you know, what the World Cup, people leading into it. So, yeah, the 93 World Cup, 97 World Cup, even the people who were in the squad kind of in the intervening years, how much they contributed and how it's one of those things where, yeah, you're there on the day and you get to do the coolest thing on the day, but you're really mindful that you are one part of a big, big machine. And, um, yeah, so it's an honour. And also you you need to be humble enough to say, well, yeah, how lucky am I to be able to do this? But, man, what about those other people? Mm. It seemed like that, and, and again, looking back on it and, and sort of trying vaguely recalling the time as well, um, that there was a, a, a lot of interest. And, and there's those images now of, and there's been a lot of still photos yeah. of when, like, and the crowd just like, like steaming out. And it's all young men who'd come along to watch. Like, it was hardcore cricket fans. Um, is there any kind of, I guess, comparison we make, can make now, or was that just a really special and unique time for women's cricket in New Zealand? Because yeah, what happened okay. after wasn't great for the next 15 years. No, it wasn't. You're absolutely right. It's a really good point. And I think a really good example of how New Zealand, you know, we weren't 5 million then, we were probably 3 and a bit, mm. maybe more, Um, how New Zealand get on the walker, you know, like when there's stuff, when they can see it, you know, you don't have, nobody had to sell it to anybody. It was like, oh, well, so Crook Info, um, who are now ESPN Crook Info, they, they sponsored the tournament and that was quite a um, – uh, I guess a new thing, and so everything was live scored. So, like you take it for granted yeah. now, you can see a score ticking over in any cricket yeah. game in the world, pretty much. Even the Grafton, you know, first eleven, but um, that was quite a novelty. So they were doing that, and um, and then there were some televised games as well going around the world. So I think also uh, having it on TV in New Zealand, people just like that momentum built, and then from the semis, I think they were they were televised, and there was some you know. Bits on the news at night and, and some highlights packages and that kind of thing from, you know, one camera at Square Leg or something like that. But um, it just built the momentum. And so I guess none of us really expected that. I didn't. I was, I'll be honest, like I was in the, well, we don't make any money, so we can't expect people to come and pay to watch it. You know, you, you, you just yeah. grow up with that mindset. I'm, I'm almost ashamed to say it, but you kind of, that's what you get told. Well, I mean, bearing in mind I'm old, but <laughs> the girls these days shouldn't be thinking that way. But you, you just, you accept it. And um, and so for us to kind of get a feeling of that sense of that it was growing and growing and growing was was really nice. And we were sort of in this, like I said, a bubble down at Lincoln, and, and we had a lot of family there and that kind of thing. So we were a little bit, there's a bit of a membrane around us, and we were a little bit sheltered from all of that. Um, and then I, it, it was really interesting because Lincoln probably – I would have thought two thousand people max, and it's a it's a mm. real university. So a lot of those young young guys are probably um, ag students from <laughs> the wagon club and steamed up. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, it was just amazing. Like it was you, you couldn't do that now. Like if people tried you you know Hagley over on the final, if there's a, a pitch invasion, there'll be yeah. you know, people getting tackled. Whereas my my memory, one of my favourite memories is the the first person to get to me somehow was my sister, and she just picked me up and just screamed in my ear and and like I was like shit <laughs> like it, it just sort of sinks in sequentially like yeah. I, I caught the ball and I'm like oh I've caught that oh she's hit that oh did he hear that and you sort of you like tick 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 and then everyone's gone up so well, they heard it so I hope he heard it and then his finger starts to go up and then you just go ballistic and and then you don't know what the hell to do till someone else does something and that was yeah. what it was um yeah and I, I remember trying to I was, I was thinking to myself well I better go and see the bowler because that's what you do 
And she had other ideas. She was like, no, I'm going to get myself a stump. So she kind of fended me off, Claire Nicholson. Um, <laughs> and I'm left hanging, like trying to get a hug. Um, yeah, it was it was just cr- crazy moments. We never really kind of, I don't think, planned a celebration, which was really obvious when you see the footage. <laughs> That's very cool. It's very cool. Um, we're reminiscing with Rebecca Roll's double international World Cup winning White Ferns cricketer back with more shortly on SENZ. I used to bite my tongue and hold my breath. You're listening to Trailblazers with Ricky Swanell. You're listening to Trailblazers on SENZ. My guest is Rebecca Rolls, and we've been reminiscing about her winning, being part of that White Ferns World Cup winning side in 2000. Uh, a couple of years later, you came out of football retirement. Uh, I think you played Cyprus Cup and then the London 2012 Olympics and the 2015, then on to the 2015 FIFA Football World Cup. How did that all come about? Yeah, it was... Yeah, like if you'd said to me when I stopped playing cricket, this is what's going to happen, I would have said, you're right. Um, No, like finished playing cricket in 2007, um, wanted to sort of focus on career because that had always been something for me. I I always wanted sport and career to be quite separate. Um, And it was starting to get to the point where I was thinking about the next step in my career. Um, I was in the police at the time, but maybe wanted the the ability to leave and do something else. Um, So I'd kind of done that and, and, yeah, had yeah, I guess made some steps in in terms of that. And then was watching the 2011 World Cup that was in Germany, the Football World Cup, um, mm. and watched the goalkeepers and thought, hmm, football's come a, a really long way and the skill level is outstanding, but the goalkeeping hasn't really advanced. It didn't look to me like it had. And also, like I mentioned before, all the goalkeepers were really short. Like I just yeah. was like, how they, you know, because the, the crossbar never moves. So it's like, hmm. And I was like, maybe I could, you know, still do a job. Because all through my cricket career, my friends who are still in the football ferns have been pestering me to come back and play. They're like, oh, you know, we, we haven't got much depth in goalkeeping. Um, you know, we, we'd love you to come back and play. We've got this tour coming up. It'd be really cool. And I was just like, I can't, can't commit to that in a job in cricket. So it had just never been on my radar. And then um, and so we were watching it, and my, my partner said to me at the time, why don't you just pick the phone up and see where it's at? Just go, well, can I come and have a trial or something like that? Um, and so through my Jackman, who who's one of the legendary football ferns and a good friend of mine, um, I text her <laughs> saying, what do you reckon? And she goes, are you for real? <laughs> or are you going to turn around again and say no? <laughs> yeah. And she goes, yeah, she was still in the squad. And she said, so anyway, long story short, I ended up having been on a six-week trial uh, that, yeah, resulted in, in um, what I still pinch myself over in terms of a second crack at a football career that was the one I always wanted as a kid, to be honest. It, it mm. was, yeah, it was, it was in, the, in those arenas, like you mentioned, um, the Canada World Cup, like, well, FIFA World Cup is crazy. Like when that comes to New Zealand lookout team, because cool. that is the biggest thing in the world. And, uh, you know, London and Rio, who were, that were very, you will, you'll know, because they're two very, very different Olympic Games. In um, the last one before the world went, completely pandemic you know and everything changed so um so yeah I mean again just feel so lucky to have been able to a get the opportunity b um yeah I guess find the dust off the the skill set but but learn a whole lot more um and yeah be able to do that uh alongside everything else there are a lot of people who supported me my partner one my family work were very good um and yeah you 
I feel like I stole someone else's dream actually. Like I feel like I, you know, had two real cracks at it and, and was able to experience some stuff that um yeah, I feel a bit self <laughs> I feel like I've like I said no. someone else had some of it. No, you you mentioned you've mentioned work a couple of times. Your whole other life, your your, your life now is uh, you've been in the police. You work for the Ministry of Health, the Serious Fraud Office, Office Corrections, and now you're at Sport NZ. How on earth have you also juggled a life and and basically effectively in public service and for public departments and 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 all that? And, and what sort of stuff were you doing at, at corrections and the SFO and things? Yeah, um, yeah, it's been a part of my life that I mean has really grounded me, and I think. You know, it takes, not everyone wants to be a public servant and not everyone keeps being a public servant. <laughs> um, but, you know, I have a really big justice gene and fairness gene and, you know, genuinely think that I love New Zealand and, and think that, you know, there's some important roles and, and want to play my part. Um, and then also it didn't hurt that when I joined the police, they had unlimited time off if you represented your country at sport. So um, that may have been a little bit of a carrot, Ricky, I'm not going to lie. But also it fascinated me. Like I just wanted to find out more about that. There were so many different ways you could go in the police. I still think it's the best job in the world um, in terms of skill acquisition and experiences and just learning on the the hop, which isn't always the best way to learn. But do you know what? Sometimes, um, yeah, it absolutely is. So, yeah, um, that – Unlimited leave didn't last. I should. They sort of kept it at twenty days after a while. When professional sports started to come in, and and there were some All Blacks, um, Blair Larson, I think was one of them. um, John Gallagher, uh, you know, so they were cops. And then I think once professionalism started to come in, I think they they kind of had to cap it a little bit. But um, yeah, no. So went through the police really early. Joined the CIB because I wanted to be a detective. um, So qualified for that, and that was actually where I missed probably. Uh, there was a 2003 White Ferns tour to India where they played a test match, and I, I didn't go on that one because I was studying for for that exam. So, um, and so Katie Martin, who's obviously White Ferns keeper now, that's when she kicked off her million year <laughs> career that's still going, um, and and probably would have come anyway. So you know, certainly wasn't a, a replacement. We were, we would have taken two keepers on that tour. Um, so yeah, uh, was yeah, just kind of really enjoyed the investigation side of things. Um, and then Ministry of Health was sort of once I'd finished cricket and I was thinking what else is out there, really liked by then fraud. Fraud really interested me and it's not everybody's cup of tea and particularly in the police. It's um, something that most people avoid, if I'm honest. <laughs> so they, you know, they want the, the kind of, um, yeah, the more exciting stuff, I think. And um, and But that was a bit more, I think I like the cerebral aspect to it and just the, the painstaking putting together of things. So so that's what I did at Health, was looking at um, funding fraud for pro- providers like doctors and pharmacists because yep. it's a capitated funding system. And then uh, a role came up with the SFO, which, which is where I always wanted to work. It was That's where you do really cool fraud investigation in New Zealand. It's the only place if you... If you are a fraud geek, that's where you should work. So that was that was brilliant. So I was there for ten years and loved loved every minute of it. Loved um, loved the work, uh, loved the culture, loved the people, um, and got to do some really interesting stuff. Travel quite a bit. We did um, a lot of stuff through OECD, uh, through some anti-corruption uh, work we were doing, and in that side of things was kind of still quite new for New Zealand because we're not you near. Know, um, Transparency International regards us as the least corrupt country in the world, and, and that's good uh, mm. perception. So we want to keep it there, but that also means that New Zealanders aren't, you know, necessarily uh, turned on to the fact that you know that, that maybe we're not, or maybe there are some mm. problems. Um, but yeah, that was kind of a anti-corruption was a, a part of mm. 
the work we're doing that started to really pique my interest. So, so yeah, and then corrections, I was kind of, I, I was um, managing the investigations team at the SFI and part of the leadership team. Um, and then the corrections was an opportunity to maybe look a bit more at the um, preventative side of things. So the SFI is definitely the sharp end when everything's gone terribly wrong. And we were kind of dabbling in education there, but the correction role um, and along with sort of audit and risk was the integrity piece. So um, the internal kind of staff integrity um, and and understanding how, yeah, I mean, corrections have a vulnerable workforce because, uh, you know, the work they do every day uh, and and trying to understand how, how you can might be able to have interventions earlier on that means you're not, um, you know, corrupt later on in your career, uh, which we'd seen a lot of at the SFO. Not, not, I should clarify, not through corrections offices only, but um, <laughs> it was a big workforce and that was what appealed about that role. But, you know, more from the – often when people find themselves committing – Big frauds. It's the yeah. They just in over their heads, and, and and there's been some some definite points where you can prevent it. So, so yeah, that was kind of that side of things. And then at Sport New Zealand, where I am now, um, inclusion is for me the start of that slippery slope. So, what I you know noticed through all of those uh, roles was there's some definite. If you think about it as, as a continuum, some definite behaviours really early on that if they are let run, then that's when the trouble starts. And it can, be, it can just be like bad HR management and that kind of thing or, or um, you know, almost time stealing and that kind of thing um, and nepotism. And so this is where the, the sport in my career kind of started to to kind of hit off each other a little bit because I was like, oh, so, yeah, it's kind of like when when I was that good football player there or cricket player that couldn't get a spot in the team because no one was including me or no one was making any changes you know that that can also resonate in the workplace. So you can get you know recruiting practices that are really exclusive, and and we see now with gender pay gap and that kind of thing that that that's real. And we've had to you know at Sport New Zealand have introduced a policy to their funded um, organisations that unless you have forty percent self-identified women on your boards, we're going to have to have a conversation about you know your funding. So um, I guess yeah, now I find myself in a role where we're trying to catch you know trying to haul that back into reality. Mm. Women are 50% of the population, so theoretically we should be seeing 50% of everything everywhere. Um, and then, yeah, so so for me, I mean, a couple of deliberate steps back along that continuum to kind of get experience right through. Um, and, yeah, now, now that I'm definitely finished playing sport, definitely. Definitely? Okay. Yeah. Um, maybe it's yeah, time to bring them together after so many years of being really happy that they were separate, but mm. complementary. Um and yeah, hoping that <clears throat> you know the next few years are, are a contribution in that respect. My guest on Trailblazers is Rebecca Rolls, former White Fern and former Football Fern, and now uh, working at Sport NZ on the board of New Zealand cricket, commentating cricket, doing everything else. We'll uh, come and we'll talk uh, a little bit about the World Cup uh, in a moment with Rebecca. Stay with us on SCNZ. I used to bite my tongue and hold my breath. You're listening to Trailblazers with Ricky Swanell. Right, let's have a look at this World Cup underway and, of course, live commentary here on SCNZ. The White Ferns started the tournament well. They've gone in with really good form. All the best players have have really hit their straps in in some of the warm-ups. As we get going, what can we expect? What can we hope for out of the White Ferns? Um, My expectation and my hope is that they take themselves very, very seriously as contenders. They should. They're looking great. Um, they've done the work, and do you know what? They've done the hard stuff. They've done the bloody hard stuff of being without Susie Bates for a year, um, being without Amy Satterthwaite when she had a baby. Not that that's hard, except for Amy. 
but you know it is it's hard to she's a one of the key players and, and obviously with Leah her wife being in the squad as well you know that that takes a toll on on a, on a family so and, and then you know Sophie and Amelia taking time out as well so that's the first series we've had all of those four together to be honest but then in the meantime look out here comes Jess Kerr um, you know, uh, there are, uh, for me, she's probably been someone who's just, just kept getting better, but heaps of really good support from the Maddie Greens. You know, Lauren Downs, so tragic for her that she's broken oh. a thumb and she's not going to take part. But, you know, the way I see it, and I sort of described it before, is that she should be so proud of her contributions to date and know that that is every bit responsible for any successes in the journey from here because it's not about just the team at the tournament it's about everything that happens beforehand so so you look they're looking good the thing with tournament cricket is that you can get on a roll and that can go both mm-hmm. ways you know you can get on a good roll or a bad roll they just have to make sure they stick to you know stick to the knitting and be really clear on what they expect and, and what they consider to be successes and what they don't um, <clears throat> and also understand that actually it's not up to those four to, to do everything. In fact, if you look at the 2000 game, every single person in that team did something that was about the same as the next person. There's no, there was no, you know, real shiners. There was no match winners. It was just a, a good, solid effort. Mm. Obviously, Australia and England, well, particularly the Aussies, probably the favourites. But as you say, New Zealand in such good form. Uh, I go back to 2000 when you and, and some of the greats won a World Cup. We hosted it, and then the ball was dropped. What from New Zealand cricket and the women's pers- pers- from the women's perspective? What do you hope is that? I hate to use the term legacy because it sort of gets a bit sort of twee with some of these events. But what do you hope is the good, regardless of whether? New Zealand wins uh, that comes out of this at, at the end of it. Um, I hope that people want to. I mean, there's already people wanting to grow up to be Sophie Devine and Susie Bates. Why wouldn't you? I mean, they're legends. But also, they, you know, I want to grow up and be Fran Jonas or um, Haley Jensen, you know, or <clears throat> Jess Kerr, one of the others, or um, even more so. I watched those women; they really inspired me. I'm not going to play cricket to a high level, but what I saw of them, kind of like me looking at Waimarama Tomanu and Sandra Edge, it's like I just want to emulate them in whatever I do do. Like I think for me, that's the we'll go legacy, Ricky. Um, but <laughs> but when you think about the World Cup team, do we leave a legacy? I yeah, I, I'm like you. I'm kind of like uh, we probably didn't capitalize on it enough, but nobody really knew to. Nobody kind of. And it's been weird because as this World Cup's been building, you know, that's when I've been asked the most about it. And and that to some degree is understandable, but you know, through in the in the twenty two years since then, God, is that how long it is? Oh my um, god, yeah. Yeah. It, it's been pretty to be honest, radio silent. It actually has. And and you know, like I said, people remember where they were and that was cool, but it's become almost a pop culture thing as opposed to that's what the White Ferns did then. Whereas, you know, I we remember the All Blacks, you know, back in through the World Cups in the 90s and, and the Silver Ferns in Delhi and, you know, the, you know the, all those sporting moments that you kind of never, never forget. But, um, yeah, for me, I think it's awareness, creating role models and leaders that will go on, you know, to inspire future generations, which, again, sounds really twee, but I actually genuinely think it. But yeah. but more that we're, that we're proud of. We're like, you know, those. this is how we cricket in New Zealand this is um you know they're they're a group of women that are so good at what they do um and and guess what they're also pretty cool and yeah let's make sure that they're tangible for girls coming through and boys you know I I think it's um just as important so you know when you talk to the team now and some of them say well it's the 2000 World Cup that's the first time I ever saw women's cricket on tv 
And that's the first time I ever saw Emily Drum or Debbie Hockley play and knew who they were. Like I don't want in 20 years' time people to go, oh, that's the first time I ever kind of, you know, saw Amelia Kerr, which which won't happen because the profiles are so much better now. But, yeah, it's it's also um, – or that's the only time I saw them. Like let's make sure it's 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 available. Can they win it? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yep. Like if – and, and I don't say that because I'm a white fern of old. <laughs> I say that because I think there are probably five teams that can win this, and they are absolutely one of them. Home gives them some advantage, a good build-up against a very, very strong Indian team. And, and you know, I, I'm not even personally uh, worried about the loss at the end. I think that if you don't go into a World Cup tournament having lost a, a hard-fought game, then your preparation isn't necessarily as good as it can be. And that doesn't mean you try and lose, but it means you try and win and you lose, but then you learn from it. And absolutely, they can win. Uh, and look, if they don't, um, I'm pretty confident that they will have put their best foot forward. Can't wait. Um, we could carry on chatting for ages. Yeah. We barely scratched the surface of your very interesting sporting <laughs> career and your off-field life as well, but we'll, we'll have to get you back another time and, and, and go through all the rest no of it. Rebecca Rolls, thank you so much for joining me on Trailblazers. Thanks, Ricky. It's been very cool.